Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Well, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, Republican from Kentucky, the bluegrass state, is a wee bit tougher than he looks. And he was tasked by our president with an exceedingly difficult job. And he was true to it. And he succeeded where so many thought it was going to be impossible. As he said, quote, We stood up for the presumption of innocence. We refused to be intimidated, end quote. And so he accomplished bringing about the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to be the next justice of the unjust or unjust Supreme Court of this nation. And whether you're in favor of the confirmation or not, and I was not, and am not, I can't help but appreciate what a sterling bit of service Mitch McConnell delivered. When I hear the name Mitch McConnell, I think of a weak, weak visage, a physically, utterly unimpressive personage, and I think of Elaine Chow, or Cho if you prefer, and communist China, the communist Chinese regime. But, while I absolutely was confident that Brett Kavanaugh was not good enough, let alone great enough, to be put on the Supreme Court, that's not to say that he was less worthy than a number of justices there. (laughs) On the contrary, the reason that I opposed Brett Kavanaugh being nominated to the Supreme Court, let alone being confirmed, is plainly, simply based on the fact that this nation is in such deplorable condition And our justice system has been so ravaged and made so unjust that we do not need one more weak Republican justice. We do not need one more appeaser, one who after having a powwow with Maine junior Senator Susan Collins, who is absolutely tooth and nail, stuck on induced abortion, being a proponent of that, after her powwow, she could come out and say, you know, she said, he said, that he assured her that Roe v. Wade, Dovey Bolton, was established law. In essence, unassailable. It was precedent that had been set and would not be threatened by his appointment to the Supreme Court, which is what she needed to hear. She made a big to-do about how great a respecter of precedent she is, following her tete-a-tete with Brett. But that's only as long as the precedent goes her way. 200 years of precedent stating that induced abortion is evil, is monstrous, is gross exploitation of women and girls, and utter total destruction 
of the only completely innocent members of society, throw that out. That precedent doesn't count. What counts is the fabricated precedent of an unassailable right for a woman to choose something, anything. And for a woman to have absolute say-so over what takes place in her body. Even if what takes place in her body is the butchery of a preborn baby that is supposed to be, according to the Constitution, is supposed to be unassailably protected from unreasonable search and seizure, much less slaughter. But anyway, Susan, dear Susan, progressive leftist Susan, got the answer that she needed from Brett, and she ran with it. And so she came down on the side of voting pragmatically, expediently, for the confirmation. We needed somebody better, somebody bolder, somebody with courage of convictions. The only way that our justice system will ever have a prayer of becoming just is to have good and godly justices, judges who fear God, love God, Worship God, obey God. There is no other way. The idea that Brett Kavanaugh represented the best and brightest that this nation had to offer was utter sham. Thank you, Mr. President. On the other hand, compared to you, Mr. President, I would say, yes, he's a cut above, (laughs) above the president. But Do you remember the atheist, Yale professor Robert Bork? Yes, professor for Bill Clinton and Hillary Rodham. Who back in the day, back when supposedly there was civility, there wasn't this terrible rancor and this terrible, hateful, infighting between Republicans and Democrats, which always is made out to be the evil working, the evil doing of the Republicans, not the Democrats, interestingly enough, but when it's, in fact, the diametric opposite, the evil party versus the stupid party. Well, the stupid party prevailed here But it's not because this was the right man. And the reason that the left was so viciously attacking him wasn't because he was so righteous and godly and good and, you name it, brilliant and with such outstanding character and courage. They couldn't allow somebody like that on the court. That wasn't it, not remotely. It was simply a matter of tactics and strategy to oppose every nomination with everything they've got and thereby to do a number on this president and on the matter of there being any confirmations and just causing everything to grind to a halt until they can get those whom they want. But back to Bork. Bork, who was an atheist, well, well into adulthood, into professorship, just the kind of person the left would want. But he converted, unfortunately, not to evangelical Christianity, but to Roman Catholicism, but he converted. And all of a sudden, 
his status was changed from being completely acceptable over to being utterly unacceptable. A staunch conservative now, by their way of thinking. And so they did everything in their power to undermine him. And in fact, they succeeded in preventing his confirmation, even though he was absolutely brilliant, fantastic scholar, extremely knowledgeable. The problem is he had seen sufficient light that it enlightened and informed his understanding and his decision-making. Take another example, Roy Moore of Alabama. Roy Moore, who has been the victim of character assassination. Roy Moore, who's outstanding. But no, we can't have somebody like that. And there are many others. I drew up a list years ago of judges that I would nominate to the Supreme Court if I were in that position, or that I would recommend to be nominated to the court if I were in that kind of a position, an advisory position. But lo and behold, time has continued on, and (laughs) so then we get the likes of Brett Kavanaugh, a man who's intelligent, bright, knowledgeable, and who has enjoyed success and, of course, comes from the George W. Bush administration, which was the one big knock against him for the incumbent president. But now he's on the Supreme Court. Of course, the left, the extreme left, is not giving up the fight. It's not a good fight. It's an evil fight. And to try to impeach him, well, they've already impeached his integrity, and so on and so forth. Not that I feel he had all that much integrity to impeach. But, again, in my view, not the best, not the brightest. Now, one person who has been solidly in his corner from the get-go and who had a great deal to do with him succeeding in being confirmed as Donald F. McGahn II, White House counsel. And he has been an advocate for Kavanaugh from the very beginning, promoting him, championing him. And here as this terrible onslaught rocked the nomination He did his level best to stir up Kavanaugh, not to pull into himself, but rather to come out fighting. And it worked. Kavanaugh did respond. He needed that encouragement that this would not be, you know, like unpresidential. This would not be unjudicial of him to show temper and fire and to defend himself. And that's what he did, and clearly it did make a difference. But now he joins this august court with such luminaries as justices, exceedingly unjust justices, Elena Kagan and Sonia Solomayar, who warned at a conference at Princeton University the day before the confirmation that this nation's political polarization, which of course it has never had before, that it threatened the United States Supreme Court's reputation as a neutral arbiter. A neutral arbiter. Since when has the Supreme Court been a neutral arbiter. You have to go back, not just decades, 
try closer to a century to get to a neutral arbiter. But, oh, these, these outstanding Supreme Court justices, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, warning sternly that, oh, no, if he were confirmed, it would threaten the Supreme Court's reputation, oh, my, as being neutral. <laughs> oh, dear, we can't have that. Well, of course, Brett Kavanaugh, he stated that the senators had twisted, had perverted their constitutional duty of advise and consent into search and destroy. Indeed, that's what they were bent on. Now, Lisa Murkowski, I saw a headline a couple days ago, three days ago, whatever it was, probably more than that, probably four, (laughs) And she said, uh, she had a headline that was like what I said in my last program and in the program before that. I've only mentioned Brett Kavanaugh twice, but when I've mentioned him each time, I've, and that is before today, today is the third, each time I have specified that he was not the best and the brightest, that he was not the best man for the job by a mile by a country mile, by light years, whatever. And I saw that she said words to that effect, that he was not the best man for the job. Not that she's listening to my program. She doesn't know I exist. So please don't misunderstand that. But so here, we had this confirmation. He, Brett Kavanaugh, has now been confirmed as being the 114th Supreme Court Justice by one of the narrower, narrower margins in history. Yes. But we had such great ones opposing him who are just absolute political hacks who were not opposing him because he wasn't one of the best and brightest. Kagan and her sisters there, they're not the best and the brightest. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, oh my word, evil incarnate. But no. Santa Mayor, no, heavens. No, it wasn't that he wasn't one of the best or one of the brightest. It was that he wasn't their person. And they were not concerned. You need to get this clear. They didn't care about any character discrepancies. They would have cared if he didn't have them. They didn't care about character flaws. Every one of their people is fatally flawed in character. Every one of them vile profane, wicked, evil, satanic, dare I say, grossly inhumane. That's not the issue that they're opposing. They're not opposing lack of character. They're opposing that he does not have sufficiently deficient character. If he were their guy, if he were Bill Clinton or Charles Schumer, Or the former George Tiller, Killer Tiller, if he were Peter Singer, if he were somebody who was absolutely evil, think Hillary Rodham Clinton, they would have no problem. Barack Hussein Obama, no problem. Or the Reverend Wright, or Al Sharpton. No. They have no problem with that at all. On the contrary. But he wasn't in their corner. He wasn't their guy. And very importantly, they needed to oppose him for political reasons too. To scuttle, 
the presidency to help them in the midterm elections, to help them in the next round of elections with the presidential reelection. And if you've listened to this program ever before, you know I am not a supporter of the president. <laughs> I voted for him because I didn't have a choice, <laughs> right? If I didn't vote, it would be like voting for Hillary. Once he was the nominee, he was the only game in town. He had to be voted for. In spite of all of his myriad fatal flaws and disqualifying characteristics. But back to this confirmation. Perhaps you took a look at the roll tally, roll call. It wasn't a roll call. They didn't do it that way, of course. They had to cast their votes. But the tally of it, who was for and who was against. There was one Democrat who voted for confirmation from West Virginia, Joe Manchin. He has been in office for low these many moons. And he did not go along with his party. Meanwhile, on the Democrat side opposing the confirmation was Angus King, former governor, independent governor of Maine, now independent senator from Maine. Dear Angus was there. And hold your breath, you won't believe this. Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont. Shocker there. He voted to oppose. But where it gets interesting... I already mentioned about Susan Collins voting for confirmation. Where it gets interesting, and there were no Democrats that voted for other than Joe Manchin of West Virginia, but where it gets interesting is in the last two senators. Lisa Murkowski, Republican Alaska, who stated that she opposed the nomination, that he was not the best man for the job. And I was really surprised she said that instead of saying the best person, <laughs> right? That he was not the best man. She did not vote. She withdrew her vote. She, I don't know how you can even do that, vote and then withdraw it, but she withdrew her vote, even though she opposed the nomination. And then there was Senator Steve Daines, Republican Montana. And Steve did something so, oh, what is the word I'm searching for? Can't think of it at the moment, but he did this great, great gesture instead of voting. Even though he supported the nomination, he says, instead of fulfilling his senatorial duty as U.S. Senator from Montana, he ducked out. He attended his daughter's wedding. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that is just so touching. That just warms the cockles of my heart. What about yours? huh? Of all the cowardly political things to do. You're telling me that they could not have changed the date of his daughter's wedding? That they didn't know weeks ago as far as what we're looking at time frame wise here? That this was an extremely, extremely important event? And instead, he tries to have it both ways. You know, I support confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, but unfortunately, I won't be able to be there. I have to support my daughter, who is getting married. So he tries to have it both ways. We'll see how it plays out with the voters of Montana. Again, I'm not a backer of Brett Kavanaugh. On the contrary. But as far as I'm concerned, Danes should lose his senatorship. He should lose his seat as a U.S. senator, for what he did here. Oh, how can you say such a terrible thing? He was just supporting his daughter. He was just putting her first. Hey, if he's going to be 
Mr. Mom and stay-at-home dad, that's fine. But he's U.S. Senator. It's not an option. This is not something he could do. General Eisenhower couldn't come home just before D-Day to attend a daughter's wedding or a daughter's recital or something else. Okay? But Steve Daines did that. Again, we'll see how it plays out. I'm sure a great many Montanans will think, oh, that was so touching. My word, he just, his heart is in the right place. Now, I would say this. If he was not going to vote for confirmation, which he stated that he would, (laughs) that he favored it, he supported the confirmation, I suppose that would be different. Slightly. It would still be wrong, but it would be different. This was a razor-thin decision here, this confirmation. We have had confirmations that were no more resounding than this. We've had other confirmations that were absolutely resounding, even though they were for wicked people, even though they were for completely morally bankrupt godless, anti-God people, enemies of God, enemies of humanity. But here we had a very close one. And dear old Danes, he was AWOL. Outstanding. Well, (laughs) I just am amazed. But uh, perhaps you saw there was an op-ed in the Gray Lady, New York Times, And this one fellow, I couldn't help but appreciate the headline. I don't know who wrote the headline, whether it was actually from the op-ed or if it was New York Times editors uh, superimposed this. I'm assuming this was actually from the op-ed writer. It says, for once, I'm grateful for Trump. (laughs) And he goes on to explain why he was grateful And it was not flattering to Trump. (laughs) But what it came down to was that it was absolutely critically necessary to have somebody who would stand up to and fight the vicious, ruthless, nasty, dirty opposition from the left. One person who was hated by the Democrat Party while he lived was Lee Atwater. And why did they hate Lee? Was it because he was such a terrible guy? Heavens no. (laughs) He lacked some moral (laughs) mores. He did. But Lee Atwater was sharp as could be, and he was what would be known as a political street fighter. He didn't do things the Republican way. He didn't go by the rules where Marquise of Queensbury, whatever rules that we cannot do this, we cannot do that, we must be super civil at all times, and so forth, and thou shalt not speak ill, Reagan said of a fellow Democrat, which was foolishness, and certainly uh, is diametrically contrary to the president's way of doing things, (laughs) of this president's way of doing things, but thou shalt not speak ill of a fellow senator, you know? We have to have this tremendous civility and so forth. So Lee Atwater was diametrically contrary to that. They hated him for it because he was the first really, truly effective Republican political operative in ages and ages. And Lee Atwater 
died at a young age from brain cancer. And his death was instrumental in Bill Clinton being elected and George Herbert Walker Bush not being reelected. But this particular infighting, this vicious, ruthless activism from the left, it had to be opposed if Kavanaugh was going to be confirmed. And who better but the bully boy at the bully pulpit, (laughs) Donald Trump. So anyway, I just thought that was too funny that... Ah, he was, this man was grateful for Trump, finally. Before I go further, let me just say I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is good and right and true within this program, about this program, is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's wrong, lacking, erring, is due to me. The Nazis, dear old Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, the National Socialist Party in Germany, they created an illusion of justice and legality. This while they subverted democracy. And they did so based on phony science. (laughs) What our president might call fake news. Phony science. Pseudo-science. And a warped, perverse, vicious, ruthless, hateful, sadistic, satanic ideology. Think Islam. Well, this is exactly the same way that the induced abortion activists have worked for decades and decades. They justify the legalization of the wanton destruction of pre-born babies all the way up to full term. And don't kid yourself that they don't, because they have all the way up to full term. Roe v. Wade, Dovey Bolton. They justify that by means of their propaganda, their rhetoric, in which they systematically have conspired to dehumanize preborn babies. Just as Peter Singer has dehumanized post-utero babies. That's right. I can't remember what the age is at which he makes this distinction that they can only be, they should only be able to be executed up to such and such an age. Right off the bat, I can't think what it is, but I believe it's like six or seven, something like that. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. I'll have to go back to source material and find it. But unimaginable, this ethicist, this chief ethicist brought over to the United States of America from Australia or New Zealand, but believe it's Australia, put in residence at Princeton University, that exceedingly prestigious, elitist Ivy League university, in charge of the Department of Ethics. This exceedingly famous man, and you would think, well, maybe you would, I I think you would think, that the study of ethics, that that would be ethical. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that if there was such a thing as a major, as a department in morals, that it would be moral? 
<laughs> I, you know, silly. I would think so. I would think that ethics, first and foremost, would be ethical. That is exactly the opposite of what is the case. If you want to find people that are utterly, completely, to the core, the bedrock of their being, anti-ethical, utterly opposed to righteousness and godliness and morality and decency and humanity, pardon me, and humanity, look to ethics, the field of ethics. Well, Peter Singer, again, he actually factually has championed the cause, the right to murder children up to a certain age. And I believe it is beyond five years of age. But again, I could be mistaken about the actual age. That doesn't change the horror of it and the unimaginable evil of this that he can get away with that. He has gotten away with that. You know, for decades, I don't even know if the guy is still kicking. I hope he's not. He's so evil, and he's promoting evil. As Hitler was and did. As Margaret Sanger was and did. And so many others. (laughs) Yasser Arafat and so forth. Who were evil to the core. And while they existed, promoted evil. And caused evil. Well, the induced abortion activists and promoters, of which he is one, but again, he goes well beyond that. A man whom Ruth Bader Ginsburg certainly could appreciate. They have promoted evil through the use of propaganda straight from Goebbels, Joseph Goebbels, and Adolf Hitler, and communist China, and the Soviet Union, and every communist regime there's ever been, and Mussolini's fascist regime, and so forth. Propaganda exceedingly important for all such evils. So, let me just give you a quote or two additionally. This one. And you tell me who came up with this one. Quote, he is and remains the tip of the parasite, a sponger who, like a noxious bacillus, keeps spreading as soon as a favorable medium invites him. End quote. Well, before you give me the answer, let me just share with you that just as with sodomites, former war cry, that marriage was legalized rape. Marriage is legalized rape. Favorite battle cry of theirs for decades, so too here with induced abortion, that preborn babies in their mother's wombs are, quote, obligate parasites. End quote. Obligate parasites. And they go on in their description of this that these loathsome. Parasites are living off of and exploiting the host organism in which they are, their mother's womb. But, of course, never uses the term mother, (laughs) either for the baby or for the woman. No, no, no. But obligate parasites. Well, this quote, I'll just read it one more time. He is and remains the tip of the parasite. A sponger who, like a nauseous bacillus, keeps spreading as soon as a favorable medium invites him. End quote. Adolf Hitler is where that one comes from. 
Yes. The Nazis. The Nazis used pseudoscience in so many ways. But to promote the purported inferiority of the Jews, which was incredible because Hitler just went on and on and on about how terribly inferior the Jews were. And then the next breath, he would talk about how the Jews were taking over the world. These terrible substandard, subhuman, inferior beings were taking over the world. (laughs) Just, um, I don't know how those two things, you know, go together, fit, but... Amazingly enough. But induced abortion is an ideology. And for these like Susan Collins that insist that it is established law that is unassailable, that cannot be subject to to change. Even though there was no constitutional basis for the legalization of induced abortion, and even though there was absolute constitutional foundation to refute any possibility of induced abortion, which I've already referred to, that we shall be, as human beings in this nation, safe from unreasonable search and seizure, let alone search and destruction missions dedicated to destroying us, to slaughtering us. But... These on the Supreme Court who created the penumbra from a letter from Thomas Jefferson created this fanciful notion to fit their ideology. They're desperately searching about for some scrap of anything that would permit them to claim that there was a constitutional basis for this evil. And that once having pushed that through, that it vaulted up the charts to be an unassailable right. That it could never be questioned thereafter. It could never be reviewed, never subject to review. It reminds me of these people like Donald Trump, George W. Bush, to name a couple, who believe in always pressing forward, never looking back, never acknowledging a mistake, never considering the possibility that they could have made a mistake, and always moving forward. Well, with the evil ones these induced abortion activists and sodomite activists, activist judges dedicated to corrupting, subverting, perverting, destroying justice, using and abusing the Constitution as they choose to to accomplish their ends. They always look forward. They have the long road perspective, as the communists do, as the fascists do. And they are dedicated, as was Karl Marx, as was Lenin, dedicated to the destruction of free nations, of free governments. 
absolutely bent on enslavement and destruction of the masses, of we, the great unwashed masses. And their ultimate victory is utterly dependent on causing death by a million paper cuts. They just keep slicing and dicing. But there are certain core laws and truths that they must, by definition, they must overthrow in order to succeed. And so they have stacked the courts. They have stacked the halls of higher education all the way down to preschool, but especially the ivory palaces, the ivory halls, but not just the elitist, not just the obviously elitist universities, but the state universities, the grand, grand land-grant universities, the community colleges, the prep schools, the high schools, the junior high schools, the grade schools now, and again, all the way down to preschool. It's what the communists do in North Korea, in communist China, in the former Soviet Union. It's what Hitler did in Nazi Germany. This is not something new. This is a consistent theme throughout Modern history. But so many people just cannot, cannot imagine that such things can be. Not until such things have been accomplished. Back during the day of Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong. Chairman Mao. Back during his heyday, he made use of, and the communists always do, made use of professors. Used professors to sing his praises and to elevate him and justify his evil. But when they were no longer needed, they were purged. They were eliminated. Just as Hitler purged Rome and Ernst Rome and the brown shirts. Just as Trotsky and his followers were purged in Russia. It's the way things are done by the evil. But in this new and improved age of social media, oh my, did you see that Google happened to errantly expose personally identifying data or data of individuals of a great many people? Hundreds and hundreds of thousands But they didn't say anything about it because, that is, Google didn't, because Google feared a backlash from public. So they covered it up. Oh, my. Yes, Google. Not Facebook this time, but Google. Oh, you got to love social media, don't you? Hmm? Did you happen to see the most exciting news I think I've seen today is that Hillary and Bill, the Billary, Team is going on the road. They're going on the road. They're going on tour. Forget those presidential bios. How about the presidential sideshow and stage show? And hmm, how about that? So Hill and Bill, they're going to visit four cities in the remainder of this year and then nine in 2019. All across North America. Where are they going to start? They're going to start in that place that is so loved by the Donald. Las Vegas. Yes, that's where they kick it off. But 
It's going to be called An Evening with President Bill Clinton and former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton. Now, I don't understand. Please uh, help me with this. It says An Evening with President Bill Clinton and former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton. Why isn't it? To be consistent, why isn't it an evening with former President Bill Clinton and former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton? Or, alternately, an evening with President Bill Clinton and Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton? But no, he is still President and she is former Secretary of State. But it's exciting. They're going to tell us all about public service. And this is being produced by Live Nation, which is that group behind Michelle Obama's enormous tour. Yes, it's exciting. But here's something that I'd like you to hang on to right here. This is a statement from Live Nation, just one little bit. It says, quote, they, referring to Bill and Hill, they provide a unique perspective on the past and remarkable insight into where we go from here. End quote. Permit me just to go back over that. They provide Bill and Hill, Bill Clinton and Hillary Rodham Clinton, provide a unique perspective on the past. They provide a unique perspective on history. They provide a revisionist history, a lie in the place of history, a lie composed of a million lies from these habitual liars. And they aren't lies just to be lies. They are lies to do damage to the public whom they are so proud of serving. And they provide a remarkable insight into where we go from here. Where do we go from here? Well, if we follow these Pied Pipers, we go to hell in a handbasket. They are dedicated to the destruction of this nation and all free nations and the enslavement of this world, if we care to follow them. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.